you've got a, a church Bible, uh, we're looking today at Genesis uh, chapter 2, uh, verses 4 uh, to 17, and that begins at page 4 uh, on your Bible, so it's a good one to have, uh, because you just turn four pages, and we're right there. So uh, Genesis 2, um, 4 to 17, and uh, do try and have a look at it, if you can, we'll be uh, looking through this together uh, this morning. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Hesur. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. It's good to, to be back, uh, and uh, nice to see so many new people as well who I, I don't yet know. Um, in case you don't know me, my name's uh, Paddy. I'm uh, the pastor in training, uh, and I work down at Cornerstone uh, in Tame, which is the church uh, plant down there. It's good to, to be with you this morning. Um, I don't know if you've uh, been watching uh, the news, but alongside the, uh, the dullness that is the hung parliament and uh, the Miliband brothers, um, there has been a, a big story um, which kind of tends to get on the edge of the news, uh, which is about the uh, oil slick in in Louisiana, I don't know if you've, you've caught up with this, that this big kind of drilling platform uh, burnt and, and went down. And, and the, the pictures they, they always show is kind of, you know, the wildlife being uh, kind of affected uh, by the oil. And it's always quite tragic and, and striking. Uh, you see these kind of dolphins swimming and then swimming into oil and, and not doing so well. Um, and I, I found a, a story on the internet that... that I sometimes like to believe that everything on the internet is true, but I doubt it. But uh, this is a story um, from the Exxon Valdez oil slick that happened a few years ago. I don't know if you remember, there was one in Alaska. And apparently the average cost um, of rehabilitating a seal, which had been caught up in the Exxon Valdez disaster, was $80,000 per seal to clean them up, to, I guess, you know, help them to, to get used to being clean again and all that kind of stuff. And um, there was a, these two seals, especially, that had been caught up in the, the oil slick quite strongly and had more care than, than some of the others. And um, there was a big party. When it came to the release day, there was a big party because all these people had been involved and it was a beautiful day. These two seals, which had been named and kind of adopted by school kids all over the, the country, were, were going to be released. And uh, they had this kind of beachside barbecue and... At the height of the, the kind of celebrations, they release these two seals who go swimming off into the, the new clean Alaskan water. People are, are cheering and clapping. The scene is, is fairly incredible. About 30 seconds later, a killer whale eats both seals. Thank you, some of you who laughed. 
I, I read it and kind of went, that is the saddest thing I have ever heard. And um, it kind of makes you think that, that sometimes, isn't it, in creation, we enjoy something that's beautiful, we see it, and yet in, in a very split second it can be marred and, and changed and we see the effects of, of kind of sin and death in the world today. And, and the reading we've read today from Genesis uh, 2 kind of sets up this kind of big choice. We normally read right the way through and see Adam and Eve making the wrong choice. But today we're stopping at the bit where, where, they, where they have the choice. And uh, I guess if I was to call it a title, I'm going to talk to you really briefly today because we've got communion, which is the main thing we're here to do. Um, it's called Freedom and Responsibility, but I want to also change it slightly to the tale of four trees because I want to try and talk today, what, what is it that Christians are free to do? What are we responsible for? How are we responsible for our choices in the way we live? And I'm going to briefly uh, talk about that. And I'm going to try and get you to interact with each other briefly as well because it's nice uh, to do so. And I'm... Um, quick question for you, just as we start to warm up together this morning, is um, if you could change one thing about the world, what would it be? If you could change one thing about the world, uh, what would it be? Can you just quickly briefly tell a neighbour or someone, if you could change one thing about the world, what would it be? Um, do please talk. I'm not asking you to do something I'm not expecting you to do. Uh, it, we are allowed to, to speak in church and uh, it helps you engage. So, if you could change one thing about the world, what would it be? Okay, we've got some answers. We've got some answers coming up. Be brave. Um, I, in my younger years, I would have run around with a microphone, but um, in, in a week's time, I'm 29, just as a small hint to buy me presents. Um, any, any answers? Any answers for what one thing would you change? What one thing would you change? Be brave at this point. Shout them out. Yes. Selfishness. Selfishness. Oh, good one. Just yours or everyone's? <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, good. Okay, everyone's selfish. I mean, that would go a long way, wouldn't it? You think about it in terms of business, in terms of, you know, making the world fair. You know, if people weren't selfish, it's a, that's a good one. Uh, any other thoughts? Any other thoughts? I'm interested. I thought you were going to say bring back capital punishment, but then you, you went in a different route. Uh, which was good. You said uh, bring back the correct seasons because everything's been a bit messed up. You know, the, the weather's... Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's a great one, yeah. So, and, um, yeah, that's a good one, good one. Uh, one more, let's see one more before we, we crack on one more. Anyone else? No sin. No sin. No sin. That would be fairly incredible, wouldn't it? Um, just think about that for a while. No, I mean, it's, and this is the challenge. I mean, when I've asked everyone, actually, most, most people do tend to, to pick things that are kind of human-centered. And even, I guess, with the, the global one, you know, we have a responsibility, don't we, for how we react, how we you share food, even if people are struggling in climates too. And, and it seems to me that actually the, the, the problem is always rooted in people. The problem is always rooted in people. You know, the things we'd like to change most of the time are, are kind of people-based. And um, you know, my challenge today as we're going to talk about this is to say, well, how, how are we going to live? And I'm going to try and briefly tell you that there are two choices we have. And it's the same choice that Adam and Eve had in the garden. In our daily life, we can choose to, to be life givers and life receivers, or we can choose to, to, to choose paths that lead to death and a, a destruction of creation. I'm going to try and challenge you that we each have a role to play in terms of being people that, that share life with others uh, and, and share life in terms of with God too. And that's my, my aim today. Um, on, online as well, if you do a lot of research, um, people critique Genesis chapter 2. This is just a brief introduction. Um, because they say it contradicts Genesis 
chapter 1. They say Genesis 1, we've looked at, there's one account of creation. And then in Genesis 2, all these people that are kind of angry and kind of going, say, well, it's different, isn't it? How can you have these two accounts going together? Now, on a purely practical level, um, I'm going to think that, that deliberately writers are writing what they're writing. I can't imagine that kind of the writer of Genesis wrote Genesis 1, went for a tea break because he was tired, came back and thought, right, where was I? Oh, yes, creation, and then wrote a different account uh, to kind of contradict the first. It doesn't seem to make sense. It's, it's clear that God's trying to teach us something about who we are, about who he is um, through the passages. And there are some, some, some great things, the differences in the passages do. In Genesis 1, uh, God is, is very powerful and, and kind of distant in one sense. He speaks and things come into play. In Genesis 2, he's still powerful, but he's close. He, he, he walks and talks and forms creation with his hands. He's, he's very much a, a God that, that is, is, is close by. As you read the account through, it says he walks with Adam and Eve in the garden. They're trying to talk about both the distance of God, that he's big and holy, but the fact that he wants to, to be involved in his creation too. And I think if you look through uh, Genesis 2, as we're going to do just now, um, Eden kind of means the garden of delight, the garden of, of goodness, the garden of good things. What makes Eden so special? What makes Eden so special? And um, if you've got your Bibles there, we're going to look at just four things, which I think are good themes that come out of what makes Eden so special. And the first thing is this. Eden is special because people enjoy a special position. The first reason this account is focused in on man's creation is to try and say that there's something different about men. You are not just, men and women, you are not just animals. And however much the world wants to try and tell us that we just are just animals, there's something different about us. You can see this is kind of described in verse 7. It says, uh, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living thing. Everything else in creation is described as being kind of spoken into being, as God, the creator, just doing that. But something special about men. And we know that to be the case too, because God has made man to, 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 to have a special relationship with him. That's what he's designed him and her to do. He hasn't just put us there and kind of spun us off on our way to say, go on, do your best. There's a challenge to say, actually, God has made you special and unique and and, and different from the rest of creation. That's one of the reasons why Eden is special. Secondly, the people enjoy a special place. If you look in verse 8 and 9, the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. No one else has this kind of special place created for them. No one else does God look at and know exactly that this is how they work best. He makes them to kind of work the ground, to, 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 to be the kind of pinnacle of his creation. In, in Genesis chapter 1, we said that they were to, to rule over everything. Everything was under men. God had created men and women to have a special place in his creation. That's what he's made them to be. And do try and remember this, because we're going to come back and touch on this as it appears later in the Bible too. Thirdly, really briefly, people enjoy a special relationship with God. What's another good little difference between Genesis 1 and 2, and if you're ever in a kind of theological pub quiz, feel free to use this as a, as a fact if they ever answer it. It's probably not going to happen. Uh, but in Genesis 1, God is described as God. Just God. In Genesis 2, he's always described as Lord God. They're, they're defining who he is in terms of his relationship with people, in terms of his place above them, in terms of his role as both mighty king and mighty lord. 
It's interesting, when you read the accounts through, you've got God, then you've got Lord God. He's, he's trying to say there's something different going on about the relationship with people. God and people made to be in this amazing relationship where both God is with them and above them, leading them and guiding them. That's fairly incredible. That's what made Eden so special, that people were in step with what God was doing. Right the way through as well, you, you, you get this lovely bit about God interacting with, with Adam to make Eve, to, to do the creative work there. He's, he, he's seeking to, to be with his people. Eden was special because people enjoyed a special relationship with God. And lastly, lastly, people enjoy a special role. Just verse 15, if you briefly uh, look with me. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Eden was special because people knew, and I'm going to summarise this as quickly as I can because there's some good stuff we're about to go on to. Just think how great it would be if you knew, okay, if you knew that you were made and created by God, that, that his very fingerprints are on you, that, 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 that you are special and unique, not in any arrogant way, but because you are God's special creation. How amazing would it be to know your role in life? To know that, that, that your place in life is set and destroyed, and all the uncertainty of what the future holds, how great would it be to know that, that God has called you and made you to do something special for him? How great would it be to, to have in the daily walk, in both the highs and the real lows of this world that is sometimes dark, the knowledge that God is there with you at all times, made you to be his, to, to be his creation and him to be your Lord. How, how amazing would that be, to have that assurance of knowing God is there close? How amazing would it be to, to know that, that, that your day, each day, whether it's that you've got your normal routine of ironing, washing and doing all the other stuff, or if it's something else, that actually God has placed you today, at this point in history, to do something for him. That's a fairly special way of living in you know, you know who you are, you know what you're here to do, you know who God is, and you know how to serve him. That's what made Eden special. People had that just set and sure with them. And it was pretty good. It was very good. It was very, very good. And God saw what he made. That's pretty incredible. But then we get to this big bit, right in the middle, the famous bit, where the Bible says this. It says, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. And for those of you who have had a little nap during my first little section, here's a second question where you can engage. Were Adam and Eve lacking something? Were Adam and Eve lacking something? When God had made them, and there's this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, were Adam and Eve made with something missing from within? Does that make sense? Feel free to shake your head if not. So some people say God had made them not knowing the difference between good and evil. That would be like no conscience yeah, something was lacking. Do you think God made people with something missing from their creation? Can you have a quick chat together? If you're not, if you're not sure, just chat about something else. Chelsea won the FA Cup yesterday. You could talk about that. Uh, that's my first mention. Um, but did God make Adam and Eve with something lacking? Did God make Adam and Eve with something lacking within them? Did they, did they, you know, was it unfair? They didn't know what the difference between good and evil was. So was it unfair to put the tree there? That kind of thing people are asking about. Have a little chat for 30 seconds. Uh, that would be great. Okay, okay. Uh, quick show of hands, quick show of hands. And um, I know it's kind of scary raising your hands in church, so do the Christian wave if you want to. Um, Adam and Eve, were they made lacking something from within their creation? Give me a wave if you think so. A little wave, yeah, be great. A little wave, yeah, a little wave, okay, okay. Uh, if you didn't think they were, made, they were lacking anything in their creation, kind of, some people aren't sure. Some people aren't sure. If you're, if you're in the middle ground, and to be honest, you're not even, you don't even think it's important, just raise your hand. Yeah, good. Well done at the back, loving it. So, 
Some people say that God made men and women with something lacking within, that they didn't know the difference between good and evil. That's what was missing. Some people would say that would be the conscience, the thing within that says, no, that's not right, and that's not right. Some people say, well, it's obvious. The tree was the knowledge of good and evil. If Adam and Eve didn't have that, then they had no knowledge of good and evil. But there is a problem. There is a problem. Firstly, God said, don't. God said, don't. Which means that men and women seem to have known at that point that they shouldn't do that. Because it is pretty mean of God if he says to Adam and Eve, don't. And Adam goes, je ne comprends. What is this don't? Um, I don't think he was French, but who knows. Um, Adam and Eve knew good and evil. They knew the difference between it because God has set in one simple rule. I mean, look at, the, look at the rule God gives. God says, here's my rule. You are free, but don't choose death. It's a bit like Eddie Izzard does, kind of cake or death in his kind of, you know, what do you choose? Cake or death? Take a Go and look it up yourself. But it seems like a no-brainer because also I get so sick. Some people say, well, it's really unfair of God to put this tree right in the middle of the garden. Lots of people say that. It's so unfair of God. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is right next door to the tree of life. Have you seen it in the account? In the middle of the garden were these two trees. To choose death, Adam and Eve have walked past life. It's right there. It's right there. Now, I'm not blaming them too much because I know that I would have done exactly the same thing in the garden. Because we all would. And it's wrong to go, I would never, I would have been a much better Adam than Adam was. Probably not. But the thing which is interesting about this is that their choice, their choice is still very much our choice today. Very much our choice today. In our daily actions, in our daily walk, we can choose to be people that give life and receive life from God. We can choose to spread life throughout all creation, like the rivers that are mentioned in this account. There's a sense of, from God, there's this source of life that goes out into all creation. We can be those people. And we often know, because we have the benefit of having experienced sin even as well, that that's not a good thing to do, and yet we still do it. And more than that, God has, at the point in history, said, here I am. Here I am. Don't walk past me. In creation, you can see my fingerprints displayed. In the fact that you are unique human beings that have the ability to think and feel differently to animals, you can see that you are made in my image. You are not just dogs and cats that have no kind of thinking abilities. You are something different. In the fact that we we seem to have this inbuilt kind of desire for justice, this inbuilt desire to care for those who are affected by like global warming and stuff. Guys, this is the fingerprints of God's workmanship on display in your life. And yet we still choose to ignore him daily in our choices. Rather than choosing to seek to bring life to others, if we've received life ourselves, we seek to often knock others down and bring death and destruction and things we do. It's a shame, isn't it? And I get so tired because there are some Christians that seem to think the aim of life is to discover the right answer, which is obviously Jesus, because it always is in the right church, and then wait until he comes back. The answer and the purpose of life is not just to be born, discover the right answer, and wait till you're approved right. The purpose of life is to worship God and glorify him forever in everything you do and say and think and feel. To be people that that, that bring life into situations where the world is desperately crying out for it. To be people of light where the world is dark. To be people that speak up for justice and don't just kind of help people who are kind of drowning in a river but go upstream to see who's throwing them in. That's what life is about. To be people that that, that seek justice in the small things and the big things of life. To, to, to live as God would want us to live. To be people that bring delight or Eden to other people. We're not just here to fill time until Jesus comes back. 
And so many problems we have in the church is because the church has just done that. We're right, you're wrong, one day we'll be proved right. It's just it's the wrong way around. Two more trees, really briefly, as we come to an end. Um, I've got one more exercise for you to do, and it's good for you to study your Bibles. If you could please turn to Revelation 22, uh, verse 1 to 6. Uh, you heard right, Revelation Bible College has been good for me. So, Revelation 22, uh, 1 to 6. Um, hopefully you were listening earlier, otherwise this could be a disaster, um, but I think we're going to get this together. What I want you to do is this. I want you to look through Revelation 22, 1 to 6, which is verse, uh, page 1,250. I'm going to read it in just a second in case you haven't got a Bible. Um, but um, if you have got one near you, do have a look. Revelation 22, 1 to 6 says this. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. One more question for you, and do please do this, because it's good for you to discover it yourselves, rather than me just telling you while you nod and go yes. Um, What similarities can you see in this passage to the one we looked at at the beginning in Genesis? Okay, what similarities? And to give you a clue, because I'm nice, there are four words. Uh, We'll have this up, Norman. It says, we talked about people had a special position, a special place, a special relationship, and a special role. That's what we said was good about Eden. Okay, those are my clues. Have a look in Revelation. See if you can find those things too. Um, If not, we're in trouble. So if you could have a quick look. I know you're not used to maybe doing this, but um, hey, I get away with it. I'm only up here a few times. So, what similarities can you see? And if you're bright, what differences too um, would be a good one. Just have a quick look for me and discuss it together. I'm going to give you two minutes. Two minutes. Okay, okay. And don't worry if you struggle with that. I'm going to try and explain it, but it's good to see how the story links together. You know, it's not just, you know, people just say, oh, Genesis is just that one thing there, but um, the, the Bible has an amazing theme that runs through it. Those of you who have done E100 will be hopefully starting to see that kind of passage. Can anyone see any similarities between Genesis 1, which we, uh, Genesis 2, sorry, which we looked at, and Revelation 22? Can anyone see any similarities at all? Be brave. Um, however silly you think it might sound. Shout them out to me. I know you're probably thinking, this is not what I pay you for. You went to tell me the answers. Um, but you see a river. A river, yeah, absolutely. The river of life, it talks about. And in Genesis 1, there was this sense of the, this river from God going out and, and you know, creating these four headwaters that went into the whole of the earth. A sense of, of God saying, this is the source of all goodness and life. And says, a plants hadn't yet grown. Absolutely. Um, we, we can say that you know, God is the source of life. So that's a good one. That's a good one. Any other similarities? Any other similarities? Trees. Trees? Tree. One tree. One tree. It's a, it's a similarity and a difference. Hold that thought. That's very important. I'm glad we got there. Yes. Yes. All good things have come. So there is a tree of life as well. And um, we're going to touch on that in just a second. What is the tree of life? Um, I'm going to finish with that point. But notice, there is no tree of the knowledge and good and evil. No. 
That's a difference. That's good. Well done. Um, any other similarities about people's position, place, role, and uh, the other one? Relationship. Any? God lives there. God lives there. God's with his people. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. One? Sitting inside of a garden. Yeah, interesting. You know, kind of developed. You know, that happens in Long-Prendon. We've got houses being built all the time. Um, Really quickly, just see if you can see this. So people in the Garden of Eden had a special position, I said, at the start of time. God had breathed life into them. The fact that at the end of time, people feature prominently in what God is seeking to do shows that God sees people as something very special. Not just certain people, too. It says that all nations are there and God is giving his life to them. People have a a position, which is incredible, that God longs for you to be with him for all eternity. He longs for you to enjoy a relationship with him that's going to last. We said that, that people had a special kind of place as well in, in creation. This, this, this city has been made for them, that they're going to be with God and God will be their people. But, but more than that, we said that there was a special relationship. A special relationship. In verse 4 of Revelation 22, it says this, They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. People have a special relationship with God. Now you may think, I don't want anyone drawing on my head, but it means that you're marked out as God's chosen son and daughter, that you're part of his family, that you proudly display that this is your identity in God. Most importantly, here's my last question for you. Is there work in this place? Let's have a quick look. Is there work in this place? Is there work? Is there any work? Alan's nodding. Alan, is there work? Where's the work? Absolutely. Now, this is a bit of a blow for those of you who think that work is the result of the fall. You think, my work is so bad, it must be the result of the knowledge of good and evil flowing into the world. Work was there pre-fall. Work is there at the end of time. There is something about what we are here to do that God considers so important that it's going to be there at the beginning and it's going to be there right into eternity. And I guess that means, too, that when we are thinking about our today, when we wake up and start to dread the day that's ahead, we should probably challenge ourselves to say... God has placed me here today to live for him and glorify him in everything I do. Not just waiting for the end of time when things are made right, but to be someone that makes things right today myself in all that I have the power to do. Don't just waste life away thinking this is purposeless stuff. You know, in everything, do your best for the Lord. You know, whatever it is, give your whole heart, the Bible talks about, attitudes. And, and later in the New Testament where it talks to slaves and servants saying, this is how you are to be. You are to be the best Slave you can be if that's your position. God considers your work important. Whatever it is, whatever stage in life it is, it's important. It's worship to God. That's how you show God is worth something to you. Really quickly then, where's the other tree gone? Where's the other tree gone? And then, don't look in the passage, it's not there. If you can turn, this is the last cross-reference to 1 Peter 2, 24. This is our fourth tree. And for those of you who heard the title at the beginning will be relieved to know that that was the amount of trees I said would feature in my talk. 1 Peter 2.24 It's just for... Right, here we go. And it's on page 1,218 um, Actually, 1,219, sorry. It says this. Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. Now we talk about the cross, and the Bible talks about a tree. 
It talks about a cross too, but, but in Deuteronomy it says that cursed is anyone that is hung on a tree. That's what the Bible says, that, that God's curse lays upon someone who is on a tree. Now the great news about the heaven to come is that the tree of knowledge and good and evil isn't there. Because he who had no sin became sin for us. He hung on a cross and took into himself, Jesus took into himself, every single thing that could be known and done and experienced about sin. The one thing Adam and Eve lacked in the garden was not knowing what good and evil was, but the horrible experience of having done it in the deep root of their stomach. That They didn't know the effects it, it, it would cause in their life in terms of the break in their relationship, their relationship with creation, their relationship with God. They didn't know that. And I would urge you that if you are ever tempted to think, I'm lacking something and you know, I'm not getting the, the love or the, the thing I need, so I'm going to get it from being tempted here. Temptation promises you a lot and delivers destruction. That's what temptation does. And, and I would urge you to say too that if you want to be a part of what God's plan for the future is, this, this everlasting place where once again you know who you are in God, who you are in Christ, your position, your role, the, the, the place that God has placed you to be, you need to look at Jesus on the cross. That's what you have to do. Because he hung on a tree so that that tree of life later is available to you. As Jesus died, he said, it's finished. It's finished. The power that sin and death has over us at that point is finished. And I, I'd urge you today that this is an amazing plan. From the beginning of time to the end of creation, God has said, this is who I am and this is who you are to be. And people often talk about, are you living for today or are you living for tomorrow? Are you living for today or are you living for tomorrow? I would urge you guys as a church to live for both today and tomorrow. To think today, how can I live for God? How can I know him in my life? How can I give my life to him to use as he would want? Because I am his servant. I am someone who's here to, to work the land and work with people around me, to be in step with him in creation. I would urge you that if you don't yet know God, there is no other way to experience this yourself. You know, things will offer you good times and offer you pleasure, but there is no other way to find this way to God. Because throughout the Bible, these are the four trees that appear. The tree of knife, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. At the end of time, the tree of life, which gives healing and, and, and takes away death for all people. And right in the middle of the Bible, you get Jesus on the cross. And those are the tale of the four trees. You are free to enjoy life in all its fullness. Don't choose death. That's my challenge this morning.